0: Welcome everyone to evening worship, and I'll just mention if you weren't here, or you need a reminder, our evening worship is going to be starting at 5 p.m. beginning Sunday, September 3rd, so in two weeks, if my calendar is correct, we'll be starting at 5 p.m. for our evening worship service, and rally day is this coming Sunday morning, starting at 9.15 all right, let's move into our time of worship together. Our call to worship is from Isaiah 61, 10 through 11. As, as we know, marriage is a theme that permeates the entire Bible from beginning to end. And we begin our worship service with the theme of marriage playing out in this call. So this is God's call to us. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise To sprout up before all the nations. God causes his righteousness and his praise to sprout up, and so he calls us to praise him. Let's stand and praise him with hymn 100, which is holy, holy, holy. Let's sing hymn 100. You may be seated. We'll take up our evening offering now as we uh, go into our next hymn, which is hymn 707. And as we sing this, we'll go into our time of corporate confession of sin shortly afterwards. So we'll uh, sing hymn 707 and then go into that time. Let's continue singing together. If you would take your bulletin, we'll participate together in this next portion of the service, which is our corporate confession of sin. And this confession of sin is taken from the Book of Common Prayer. And as we continue to do this on evening worship services, in evening worship services, um, this confession may change. It's not always going to be this particular one, but this one is helpful for us to kind of build a foundation of what we're doing as a church body confessing our sin together. Um, As we read this together, we'll then have a few moments of silent confession of sin. And as we had this morning, so we um, continue on this evening. Um, And so I invite you to read with me this prayer out loud as God's people, as we confess our sins, and then we'll silently confess our sin and then hear God's assurance of pardon, which is his good word concerning our sin. So let's read together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Take a few moments now to come before your Savior and Lord and in prayer. Let's pray together. Now here, the assurance of pardon from Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word to you and to me, that he has come to save a people who did not want to be saved, to redeem a sinful and lawless people, to purify us for himself And as we confess our sins, he forgives us and he continues to purify us more and more each day. uh, Who are zealous for good works, for his own possession. This is good news. As we move from this time of confession and pardon, we come to God's word and we ask him to guide us, to teach us, to lead us. So I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 1, is where we'll be this evening. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1. As we have moved through the gospel of Mark, Jesus is teaching us about discipleship, what it means to follow him. And last week, Jesus told us what following him looked like. It meant it looked like being last. It looked like welcoming the lowly, the people of society that were forgotten. It meant cutting off causes for sin. And all of these things uh, directly relate to our next topic, which is marriage. And Jesus will give us... uh, Well, he'll explain a part of how uh, marriage is both beautiful and how it is also broken today. And we'll look at why marriage is important. So read with me, and then I'll say a brief prayer for us. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1. This is God's word. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Lord, as we look at this passage, we know you value and you cherish marriage. Uh, We see the image of marriage across your word. So would you raise high this? uh, Would you raise high marriage to us as we look at what you teach us in Mark and across your word? Would you lead us? Closer to yourself as we consider these things, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to receive your word by the power of your spirit. Change us, we pray, Lord Jesus. We pray in in Jesus' name, amen. So why is marriage important to God? Why does Jesus spend this portion of his time as he's journeying to Jerusalem, to do the ultimate act of his ministry, which is to die on the cross and to be risen from the grave, why are we talking about marriage now? Why does Jesus care so much about it? So we're going to look at three things, three points as we move through this. And we're going to focus on marriage. So we're going to look at why marriage is important. First, we're going to look at why it's important because God created marriage. Marriage. Second, it's important because God uses marriage to make us more like Jesus. And third, because marriage points the world to Jesus, because it points the world to salvation. So let's look at the first point, which is God created marriage. In order to understand why marriage is important to God, we need to properly understand it. And as I was reading a commentary on this passage, um, they noted that during Jesus' time, marriage was considered a—and I'll just read a portion of this— it was not considered a union of equals for the mutual benefit of both husband and wife, but rather as an institution whose chief purpose was the establishment and continuance of the family and whose chief enemy— was childlessness. The Bible has this incredible concept of marriage. And in Jesus' time, marriage has become something that is simply for continuing your family line. That is the most important goal for marriage. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and he again flips this on its head. Not everyone is called to marriage, we'll soon hear from the Apostle Paul say. It's better not to be married, he'll say, because we can serve the Lord more wholeheartedly. And then we read in Romans 7 that all believers, married or not, are living as if they have died to their previous spouse, which is the law, and now belong to the risen Jesus. The Bible was counter-cultural when it came to marriage then, just as it is now. Jesus will teach us, in other places, the Gospels, that having children isn't the most important thing. Being married isn't the most important thing. What's most important is faith. Faith in Christ, trusting in his word, and having a spiritual family. And this isn't new for Jesus to be teaching. This is throughout the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 54 says this, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. So God is bringing us into his spiritual family. And today, um, one of the so-called leading experts on, on marriage and uh, I actually have benefited from this author. She says this about marriage. She says, The marriage relationship today is the pinnacle of evolution, the most compelling survival mechanism of the human species. And I don't agree with her on this part. I'll just be clear on that. But what's interesting about this quote is that she is saying this about the marriage relationship, but she's not referring to children. She's referring to one's own emotional health. So to this marriage expert and psychologist, she believes that the marriage relationship has the potential to improve ourselves in such a way that it's the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity. Other people believe that marriage is um, simply something that has developed for the survival of our species. Of course childbearing. And for others, marriage is simply to improve our lives and to make us happier. It's a means of personal enrichment which this author I quoted I would say is her what she believes is the main goal and why marriage is important because it makes us more mentally and physically healthy. And for many people to get married, uh, the reason you would want to get married is because it will make you happier. It might provide financial stability. It will help you achieve your goals and your desires for kids, a house, a solid reputation, and these reasons aren't all wrong in themselves, but if your goal for marriage is personal fulfillment... You will be sorely disappointed. As we all have seen over the years, um, we ourselves post and see things on Facebook, pictures of our family, of our marriage. And if only, if only our marriages and our families lined up with what we posted on Facebook, we would all be very content and very happy. But we all know that they don't line up. If our marriage and our family is for the purpose of personal fulfillment, of personal enrichment, then we'll bury the difficulties of our marriage, we'll hide our flaws and struggles from other people, especially believers, and we'll suffer quietly. And this is not the kind of marriage that God created, and it's not what Jesus is talking about and prizes here in our passage Jesus says, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So why is marriage important? It's because God created marriage, and God created marriage to mirror in some mysterious way how he has committed himself to us. He created marriage to show us in some mysterious way how he loves us. Ezekiel 16 says, God says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Listen to Hosea, chapter 2. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God commits himself to his image-bearing people. He committed himself to his people from the beginning, from creation, In a covenant. And in this covenant is steadfast love. So marriage is important to God. It's important to Jesus because it models his covenant love, his covenant faithfulness to his people. Second, marriage is important because it makes us more like Jesus. The purpose of marriage is to act out this love, this covenant love, this covenant faithfulness to a fellow image-bearer, and I thought it would be worth reading, uh, because it's a great portion of Scripture, uh, the portion from Ephesians about marriage, and I'll read that to us now. Paul says this, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying, Paul is saying, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's a long portion of Scripture to tack on to Mark. But what Paul is saying is incredible. It gives us more depth to what Jesus is upholding. And I love how Paul says, marriage is between a man and a woman serving each other like Jesus and the church. It's a mystery. That made me laugh for some reason when I, when I read that this week. It really is. It's a mystery how this plays out. But, as Paul says, it doesn't leave us wondering how we ought to treat one another, how a married couple ought to treat one another. He says, love your spouse as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your spouse is your closest neighbor. And in doing this, Paul says, you'll mysteriously act out this relationship. It's amazing. And the most freeing thing about the gospel is that we can acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are flawed sinful people. And we fall short, especially of Paul's instructions here. And this means that we can freely say, if we're married, when our marriages are hard, we can freely talk about the conflict and arguments we have in our marriage with others we trust, Because we expect them, we expect to have difficulties because we're sinners. We learn from Jesus and from Paul, from the rest of Scripture, that the foundation of a healthy marriage is one in which two spouses know that they are sinners and rely completely, not on each other, but on Christ, individually, personally, as their Lord and Savior. Two sinners who acknowledge that they are far worse than they imagined and far more loved by Christ than they ever imagined. And so we see as Jesus teaches on the hardness of our hearts, our relationship to Jesus can harden. His grace can become less and less in our lives. We can become less and less affected by it. Our own self-fulfillment grows more and more. We begin to serve ourselves more than our spouse. And from this place comes all sorts of destruction. But in Jesus, there's hope. Again, marriage is important because it's making people more like Christ. And I'll read One more passage or one more quotation from this marriage expert. Her name is Sue Johnson. She's not a believer, but it's well known that she works with many Christians closely. Um, She says this, and I found it interesting. She says, Most fights in marriages are protests over emotional disconnection, emotional disconnection. She says, underneath all the distress, spouses are asking each other, can I count on you? Can I depend on you? Are you there for me? Will you respond to me when I need and when I call? Do I matter to you? Am I valued and accepted by you? Do you need me? Do you rely on me? So she says, most fights revolve around these questions. Both spouses want to know if they each matter to the other, if they are valued and cherished by the other. And marriage forces us to cling to Jesus. And we must know, and this is what marriage does, it leads us to the knowledge that we are valued and accepted by Jesus. That we are valued and fully accepted by Jesus first. And we must know that those who are married must grasp that. Those who would support other marriages or desire to be married must know that our value and our acceptance comes from Christ. And if we don't know that, we'll seek it in our spouse. We'll seek validation. We'll seek acceptance in a spouse that was never equipped to give those things. Tim Keller said, as many of you have heard this before, uh, Tim Keller said, "You, you never marry the right person. You never marry the right person because marriage is between two sinners. And of course, I think uh, Keller's correct on that. And he also famously said that who you marry is not going to be who you're married to in the future. He said he's, I think I'm paraphrasing or maybe even attributing it to not, to, maybe it was someone else who said this, but they said they've woken up in bed to seven different people, and it's been their wife every time. So their wife has changed so much over the years of marriage that, they have been a completely different person. And in order for our marriages to be sustained for the long term, marriage can't be based on this person that we want to be married to. It can't be about personal fulfillment. It must be based on Jesus. And so we see how, well, if you're married, you know how easy it is to become hardened towards your spouse towards Jesus towards others our conflicts and our arguments in marriage are the blinking dashboard lights that are telling us that something is wrong between us and our spouse something is wrong between us and God so as we acknowledge our faults as we seek restoration In our marriage, we first must seek restoration with God, with Christ. And as we do that, we become more like Christ. We become more able to serve the other. And so marriage is important because God created it to model his covenant love towards us. It's important because God uses it to make us more like Christ, And third and finally, marriage is important because God uses it to point the world to his son Jesus, to salvation in Christ. We know that scripture says, God so loved the world. that We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to redeem and marry an unfaithful, sinful, hateful, resentful bride. This love of God is something that we will mine the depths of for the rest of our earthly lives, and poetry does a good job describing God's love for us. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, says, For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the kind of love which God has for us. It is fierce. It is fiery. It cannot be drowned out. And so we see why Jesus values marriage, why he lifts it up in a society that was very content and comfortable with easy divorces, the Bible begins with marriage. It ends with marriage. Marriage is strewn throughout its pages because it points us to salvation in Christ. We read one more. Uh, I have two more scripture passages and then we're done. But we read in scripture, it says, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God is referring here to Israel. We know the greater Israel is Jesus. Jesus was cast off so that we wouldn't be. Jesus was deserted by his Father on the cross so that you and I would never be deserted. And in overflowing anger, God poured out his wrath, not upon us, but upon his Son, Jesus, for our sin, so that we could experience his everlasting love and compassion. Of course, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we read about The Marriage Supper of the Lamb. We're about to sing about that too. When Christ's bride, when the church is presented in glory and splendor, the ultimate ending, which is really the beginning. We read in Revelation 19, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. These are the true words of God. One day soon, I pray, you will join with me at this great wedding feast. I pray many things. I pray God would strengthen the marriages in our church. He would strengthen your marriage, if you're in one, that he would make the marriages... First Presbyterian Church, a shining light of the gospel in action, of God at work, because we know that there is no marriage out of God's reach. There's no sinner out of his reach. God will never abandon his people. And even the hardest of hearts can be softened by the Spirit. Jesus went to the cross for his bride, and it is a beautiful, incredible. Amazing picture of God's love for us. Let's pray. God, you, of course, uh, love this picture of marriage. And we have so far short of that in our world. In my own marriage, I know others here would agree about their marriage. Lord, there is a picture of marriage, and then there is reality. And so, Lord, we first confess our own sins, and we humbly come before you and ask that you would restore and strengthen our marriages in Christ, that they would point others to Christ. And Lord, for everyone here, whether they have been married, whether they look forward to being married, whatever it might be, God, would you give us this picture And make it clear to us just how much you love us. Even as sinful as we are, you continue to pursue us and come after us with compassion, with everlasting faithfulness, uh, with love. So cause us to worship you for these things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll end our service with hymn 420, which is at the Lamb's High Feast we sing and... Miss Betty says that we know the tune to this hymn, but we may not know the words. So uh, I invite you to stand and we'll learn it together. Go with God's blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.